Hey everyone, welcome to the Southside Church Podcast from Chilliwack, British Columbia, Canada. We're praying that hope would rise in your life as you listen to this message today. The legend is told of a man who was lost in the desert, literally dying of thirst. And as he reaches the end of his endurance, he comes over a rise and he sees in the distance an old shack, run down, abandoned, windowless, but it's still a break in the monotony of miles and miles and miles and hours and hours and hours of sun-drenched sand. So he makes his way over to the shack. And as he gets closer, he sees the answer to his most fervent prayers. There's a water pump beside the shack. He heads over as quickly as he can, and he begins to work the pump for everything he's got. But it becomes evident after about a minute that nothing's happening. He falls to his knees in defeat. But as he's down there, it's a different vantage point, and he sees something that he never noticed before. There, beside the pump, half buried in the sand, is a small one-liter glass jug with a cork on the top and writing on the side. He brushes the sand off, and he reads the writing. It says, the pump needs to be primed, my friend. But don't worry. If you pour it out, you'll get back more than enough. P.S. Please make sure to fill this jug when you're through for the next weary traveler. So he uncorks the jug, and sure enough, it's full of water. Well, now he's got a choice to make. Choice one is, I guess, the easy choice. Drink the water. <laughs> Satiate his thirst. Give him strength for a few more hours, maybe even days. But choice two is the riskier choice. Do what the writing on the side of the jug says. Pour it out, hoping to get back more than enough. For some reason, something deep inside of him says, take the risky choice. And so not allowing himself ch a chance to change his mind, he stands up and he pours out that one liter jug into the pump, but he begins to work it. Nothing at first. Eventually, uh, small drips, and then a stream, and then a torrent of water. More than enough. More than enough to quench his thirst more than enough to wash him off, more than enough to fill his canteens, and more than enough, yes, to refill that jug for the next weary traveler. And when he's all through and he's about to place this jug back down beside the pump, he reaches in his backpack with a Sharpie, and he adds his own note on the bottom. He says, you can really believe it. When you pour it out, you do get back more than enough. Well, it's rebuilding time. And I know I don't need to convince you of that here in October of 2020, but the truth is, look around the world. <laughs> Medically, politically, culturally, it's rebuilding time. And what's true of our world is true of our lives too, right? Like, um, our dreams need to be rebuilt. Our families need to be rebuilt. Our lives need to be rebuilt. So we've turned our attention as a church to a story out of the Old Testament of the Bible all about rebuilding. It's the story of Nehemiah. And the story of Nehemiah starts with Nehemiah living a privilege, privileged life in Susa, the capital of the Persian Empire. Nehemiah is serving as the cupbearer to King Artaxerxes. But at some point, Nehemiah gets word that the walls of Jerusalem are down and that the gates are wrecked. And he's really impacted, right? Because he's thinking about the plight of his Jewish brothers and sisters in Jerusalem, how they're endangered, vulnerable, and afraid. Nehemiah is so impacted, in fact, that he takes the 1,200-kilometer journey from Susa to Jerusalem. He assembles a team, 
And despite all kinds of resistance, they rebuild those walls. And so in Nehemiah chapter 10, which is where we find ourselves today, Nehemiah gathers all the people around. He says, I have an idea. Why don't we um, build something beautiful within these new walls? Why don't we build beautiful lives within these walls? And so he leads the people to make three covenants. And I want to stop there just for a second. I want to suggest to you again that it's very important that I use the word covenant. Because there is a school of thought out there. There are people out there who will tell you that God wants a contractual relationship with his people. We call this legalism. In other words, God will do his part as long as you do your part. So to a legalist, uh, when God gives a command or a law or, or when he says, come follow me, that's a hoop to jump through to earn his love. But the Bible teaches the message of the gospel. And the message of the gospel says that God wants a covenantal relationship with his people. In other words, when God sent Jesus into human history, God did his part and he did your part too. So God's commands and God's laws or when God says, hey, follow me, it's not a hoop to jump through. It's an invitation to blessing. Not to earn his love, but because he loves us. And so Nehemiah leads the people of Jerusalem into three covenants. The first is the covenant on marriage. And what's the invitation to blessing? It's an invitation to a lifelong soul-level friendship. The second covenant is a covenant on Sabbath. And the invitation to blessing is an invitation to kindness. Kindness to creation, kindness to each other, and kindness to ourselves. And then the third covenant that Nehemiah leads the people into is the one that I want to talk about today. And that's a covenant on generosity. And what's the invitation to blessing? Well, it's an invitation to abundance. Or as the story that we started the sermon off with says, it's an invitation to more than enough. So let's jump into Nehemiah chapter 10. Here's the covenant. We, the people of Jerusalem, also assume responsibility for bringing to the house of the Lord each year the first fruits of our crops and every fruit tree. That's the covenant of generosity. It's also known as the principle of first fruits or the tithe. And here's what it basically says. It says that um, God wants to bless you. It's an invitation. It's not an obligation. It's also known as the tithe, that we bring the first tenth of what God gives us back to the house of the Lord, which today is the church, and and we're blessed. But I want to stop there, and I want to say, uh, I don't want to get legalistic. So let's be really, really clear. God loves you if you're generous. God loves you if you are not generous. God loves you if you tithe. God loves you if you don't tithe. It's not an obligation. It's an invitation to blessing. You understand what I mean? So, so I love the way Isaiah 58 puts it. Listen to this. If you get rid of unfair practices, quit blaming victims, quit gossiping about other people's sins. If you are generous with the hungry and start giving yourselves to the down and out, your lives will begin to glow in the darkness. Your shadowed lives will be bathed in sunlight. I will always show you where to go. I'll give you a full life in the emptiest of places firm muscles, strong bones. You'll be like a well-watered garden, a gurgling spring that never runs dry. You'll use the old rubble of past lives to build anew. Rebuild the foundations from out of your past. You'll be known as those who can fix anything. Restore old ruins. Rebuild and renovate. Make the community livable again. 
So generosity is an invitation, it's not an obligation. It's really, really important. Because here's what's happened. When we get legalistic about generosity, we, we make tithing or the principle of first truths, we, we make that a hoop to jump through. And what happens is when you make anything a hoop to jump through, people like me will always look for a loophole. If you give me a hoop to jump through, I will always look for a loophole. And here in Isaiah 58, it says, you got to quit blaming victims. In other words, when we get legalistic about generosity, one of the first things that we're going to do is we're going to look to find fault. So when we see hurting and helpless people, when we see lost and lonely people, when we see broken, bruised, and burnt out people, one of the first responses that we might have, instead of saying, well, I'm a part of a church and the church is meant to help those people, one of the first responses that we might have is we might want to find fault. That's a temptation. We want to prove that it's that person's own fault that they are where they are. Reminds me of years ago, our kids were going around collecting pop bottles to raise money to go on a missions trip with Southside Youth to build houses in Vicente Guerrero, Mexico for those in desperate need. So when they got to the house of one of our neighbors, his neighbor said to them, oh, you want to help the poor people in Mexico? Well, here's something you need to know about them. It's their own fault that they're poor. And he slammed his door in the face of my kids. And so I went over and I punched him in the head. It was an incredible scene. No, no, I didn't. But, but it does make me think. It does make me think, why is that there that temptation inside of me that says, man, I, I, I want to find a loophole. I want to find out that it's their fault. Be- because here's the thing. Generosity isn't really generosity if we only give it to people who have earned it, right? See, that's the message of the gospel. That Jesus came and Jesus died and Jesus rose again. Not because I earned it, but because he loves me. It's performance-based acceptance. I'm accepted by his performance. Can I be completely honest with you? The the world has had enough with legalistic, loophole-finding Christians. I think the world has had enough of finding out what the church and what Christians are against. I I think they've had enough of condemnation. I think they've had enough of judgment. I think they've had enough of fault-finding. I think they've had enough of nitpicking. I think they've had enough of lectures. I think what the world desperately needs today in October of 2020 is they need to know what the church is for. And so we're following Jesus, and John 3.16 says that God loved the world. Jesus came for the world, and we are for the world. And the question that I have for you and the question that I have for me is this. At the heart level of who you are, at the heart level of who I am, am I for this world? And Jesus said one time, oh, your treasure is where your heart is. So my generosity is always going to reveal the condition of my heart every single time. One more time out. Every once in a while I hear people talk, both inside and outside the church, and they say something like this. Man, if I had the money that Bill Gates had, I would be so generous. If I had the money that Jeff Bezos had, man, then I would help people. And can I, can I just make a suggestion to you that you really, really need to understand? I'm not here to judge you. I'm not here to make fun of you. Um, generosity has nothing to do with the size of your wallet. It has everything to do with the inclination of your heart. Statistically speaking, in fact, the more money you have, proportionally, the less you give. 
So how much would you give if you had the money that Jeff Bezos had? Statistically, you'd give just a little bit less proportionally than you're giving right now. Now, I say that because I, I, I want to suggest to you, no matter where you're at today, you can start if you want to. It's not an obligation. It's an invitation. And it has nothing to do with the size of your wallet and everything to do with the inclination of your heart. See, listen to this. Isaiah 58 continues. If you are generous with the hungry and start giving yourselves to the down and out, your lives will begin to glow in the darkness. Your shadowed lives will be bathed in sunlight. Man, I love that. I love that because we live in a world with so many hungry people. There's all kinds of hunger, right? There's physical hunger, like people need food. But there's also emotional hunger. Like anxious people need to find peace. Lonely people need to be loved. Forgotten people need to be remembered. Depressed people need to find a little bit of light. There's mental hunger. Lost people need to find their way. Confused people need to find clarity. And yes, there's spiritual hunger too. Like I really believe that at the core of every single person who walks the earth is the same question. Isn't there more to life than this? And I want to be really clear. The church, the church, the church, the church. The church is God's idea. Established by Jesus. Empowered by the Holy Spirit to feed a desperately hungry world. That's why we're here. One of the best examples that I can give you is about 18 months ago, we came together as a church, a Southside church, and we launched something called the more expanded vision. More help, more home, more hope. So we expanded our efforts to bring help, tangible help to a hungry world. So we ramped up our efforts down in our free school in Mirabella, Haiti, to help the poorest of the poor students down there. We expanded our efforts to partner with the Chiactin First Nations and the Shehela School to help students who were living below the poverty line. We ramped up efforts to coordinate with the Chilliwack Maternity Ward and the Crisis Pregnancy Center to come alongside women going through difficult and challenging pregnancies. We ramped up our efforts with the Sunshine Fund to come along families that are walking through critical illness and let them know that we can't do everything, but we want to do something because we really wanted them to know that they're not alone. So we ramped up efforts with our service days like For This City and All Is Bright to come alongside single moms and single dads and lost and lonely and hurting people and let them know we see you, we see you, we love you. And 18 months ago, we... We said we want to bring more home. You know, we're building, for the first time in the history of our church, we're building like a full-time home. If you're driving south on Vetter Road, if you're from this area, if you're driving south on Vetter Road and you cross South Sumas and look to your west, you'll see it. There's a big like uh, uh, semi-truck trailer that says future home of Southside Church. But whether or not you've seen it, I wonder if you know what that is. See, I, I got a little bit of homework for you. I got a little homework for you. I'd, I'd love for you to take some time this week and turn in the New Testament Gospel of Luke, chapter 10. In the second half of that chapter, Jesus tell the, tells the story of the Good Samaritan. 
Have you ever heard of it? Because the story is incredible. In, the, in this story, Jesus compares this life that we're living in our broken world to the broken road that leads down from Jerusalem to Jericho. And he talks about the fact that along that road sometimes people get hurt. People get broken and bruised and bloody and people get lost. But then Jesus talks about the fact that he's the good Samaritan and he travels that broken road from Jerusalem to Jericho and he's saving people. He's still saving people here in October 2020. He still travels that broken road. And when he finds people who need help, who need healing, who need wholeness, he takes them where? He takes them to the inn. That's what we're building. A hotel. A home away from home. For those people who have come to the heartbreaking realization that this world is not my home. A place of healing. A place of wholeness. A place of help. That's what we're building. So we said 18 months ago, we want to bring more help and we want to bring more home and we want to bring more hope. We want to keep preaching the gospel. We we, we want to tell them, you know, when, when that question is going on deep in your heart that isn't there more to life than this, there is an answer and his name is Jesus and he's the more that you've been looking for. And here's the crazy thing. Here's the crazy thing. When people like me stand up in places like this and and we tell the message of the gospel that Jesus loves you and Jesus is for you and Jesus has a plan for your present, your future, and your eternity. What's amazing, I see this play out all the time. People walk in or people tune in on their computers and they hear that message. People who have never been to church before. People who have never opened the Bible before. And they say, and that message, that Jesus you're talking about, I think I've seen him before. See, I, I, I think I've seen his light shine through you. See, see, when he's generous with us and we shine that generosity out, when he loves us and we shine his love out, when he's kind to us and we shine his kindness out, we're telling the story of the gospel. We're telling the story of Jesus. More help, more home, more hope. That's it. You don't got to. It's not an obligation, but it is an invitation. It's an invitation to blessing. Isaiah 58 continues, says this. I'll always show you where to go. I'll give you a full life in the emptiest of places. Firm muscles, strong bones. You'll be like a well-watered garden, a gurgling spring that never runs dry. You'll use the old rubble of past lives to build anew, rebuild the foundations from out of your past. So let me tell you something that you already know. Money is a grind. Money is a grind. You say, yeah, man, like 2020, money is a grind. I agree it is. And here's the crazy thing. It's always been a grind since the very beginning. If you go all the way back to the beginning in Genesis chapter 3, you'll see Adam and Eve, the first man and the first woman, uh, they walked away from God. And I want you to think about this just for a second. If God is light and you walk away from God, what are you walking into? you walking into darkness. If God is hope, you walk away from God, you walk into despair. If God is strength, you walk away from God, you walk into weakness. 
Well, God is abundance. So what happens when you walk away from abundance? You walk into scarcity. Have you noticed that we live in a world with a scarcity mentality? It's the source of all jealousy, by the way. See, the scarcity mentality is a lie. And the scarcity mentality says there's only so much good stuff to go around. So when I see good stuff happening to another person, I get jealous. It threatens me because you're using up all the good stuff, and now I'm not going to get it. It's a lie. And it's been around since Genesis 3. And if God is blessing, you walk away from blessing, you walk into a curse. And I would suggest to you that it is self-evident that we live in a world where our finances and our resources and our money is under a curse. We see it play out in our lives individually. And that's why nothing stresses us out much more than money. Nothing causes more dissatisfaction than when we think about money. Collectively in families, nothing causes as many arguments as money. Nothing causes as many divorces as money. Nothing, nothing causes more dissension than money. And even on a global scale, nothing causes more wars than this whole thing of resources and finances and money. It's under a curse. And so way back in the very beginning, God said, I'm going to offer you a way back. I'm going to offer you a way to reverse the curse. And that's the invitation of blessing. That's the invitation to generosity. It's the principle of first fruits. To borrow a phrase from that story I told at the start of the sermon, it's an invitation to more than enough. So in this passage in Isaiah 58, we see three tangible ways that God blesses us when we invite him to with our finances. The first is direction. Direction. A few months ago, I got a call from a young man. He's a professional, very, very successful, and he had, I guess what you could call, a, a good problem. He had, he had three opportunities in three different cities that he could step into. And him and his wife had been talking about it for weeks. They'd been praying about it for weeks. They'd been doing pros and con lists for weeks. Not only had they not been able to pick one of the three, they had not even been able to eliminate one of the three so they could go down to two. So he calls me one night and he says, we're so sick of talking about this. My wife and I agreed, I'm going to call you. Whatever you tell us to do, we're going to do. I said, no, 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 I'm not doing that. I don't want that kind of pressure, but I will talk to you about it. So we talked for a long time. I talked to him about his past experiences, his present circumstances, his future aspirations. I talked about the pros and cons. I talked about every situation. And, and after more than an hour, it became absolutely clear to me. I had no idea, no idea at all. Like not only could I not pick one, I couldn't even eliminate one of his three possibilities. I said, man, I'm sorry. I, I have no idea. He said, you're kidding me. You always have opinions about everything. I said, I don't know, man. I just don't have an opinion on this one. He said, well, you always talk about next steps. Can you not at least give us a next step? I said, I can. I don't know if you're going to like it. He said, hit me. I said, okay. You're going to church, right? They don't live in, in our city. He said, yeah, we're going to church. I said, are you tithing? <laughs> He paused for a minute and he said, no, and that has nothing to do with this conversation. I said, the thing is, it does. It does. And what I could have quoted for him is I could have quoted Isaiah 58, which says when we're generous that God will always show us where to go. But instead, I quoted Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. And Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says it this way, trust in the Lord with all your heart. 
lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will direct your path. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And Jesus says, your heart is always revealed by your treasure. All your heart, and he will direct your path. The second blessing that I think God's inviting us to is the blessing of contentment. You don't have to, right? It's not an obligation, it's an invitation. But it's an invitation of blessing. So the first blessing is direction, the second is contentment. See, because discontentment is heartbreaking. Discontentment is devastating. It's a destroyer of lives. Because you look around the world and you see people in all kinds of walks of life, like rich people and poor people and old people and young people and married people and single people, and it's just like they're trying to um, find contentment from the outside in, and it's not working. And so behind every uh, uh, silver lining is always a dark cloud for them. It's discontentment. It's heartbreaking. Thomas Aquinas said it this way, the one thing every person who wants to build for themselves contentment will need is simply this, everything. Contentment from the outside in doesn't work. Have you ever heard of that verse, Philippians 4.13? It says, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Maybe you've heard of it before. Christian athletes often quote it. I personally love it. I do. Man, every time I hear Philippians 4.13, I, I think to myself, man, whatever God brings me into, he's going to get me through. You know, whatever God has called me to be, whatever difference he's called me to make, if I rely on him, I'm going to be able to do it. But I don't know if you ever realize that Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength, is actually a verse uh, in the context of the relationship between generosity and contentment. Uh, the Apostle Paul is talking about the church in Philippi and how their generosity is going to lead to contentment. Because let me, let me read you Philippians 4.12 and then 13. Paul says this, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or living in want. How? I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. That's it. Contentment is a miracle. It's a blessing that God invites us into. And the third blessing that I think God invites us into through this covenant of generosity is joy. The Bible talks about the sense of abiding joy, abiding joy. And abiding joy just means joy that travels with you through the high highs and the low lows, through the ups and the downs. Because happiness kind of comes and goes with our circumstances. Abiding joy sticks with us. The, the best example I could give you that is to go back to March the 12th of this year, 2020. It was a Thursday. Uh, the night before, on Wednesday, March the 11th, Rudy Gobert of the Utah Jazz had tested positive for COVID-19 and the NBA had suspended their season. By Thursday, March the 12th, uh, we were hearing word that the NHL was looking to do the same thing, and we all realized that uh, life was about to change radically. So we had a morning staff meeting planned, but that morning staff meeting ended up being uh, all morning, into the afternoon, and even into the evening. And the word that we started to use that day was pivot. We're going to have to do a lot of pivoting. Pivoting has been the word of 2020 for all of us, hasn't it? 
But there's something that I noticed right from the very beginning in our staff at Southside Church, and that was this sense of abiding joy. Abiding joy. In other words, let me put it this way, that, 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 that this pandemic didn't surprise God. How about that? This pandemic didn't surprise God. Let, let me say that another way. That even in a world that feels out of control, we've placed our faith in a God who loves us infinitely and who is in control. So I put my trust in God to control what only he can control. And I joyfully control what I can control. In other words, from the very beginning, from March the 12th, 2020, this is what we said. We're not going to worry about what we can't do. We're going to rejoice in what we can do. And I won't say that there hasn't been challenges along the way. There hasn't been difficulties along the way. There has been. There's been early mornings and there's been late nights and there's been intensity. But over all of it has been this sense of abiding joy. We say, well, what does that have to do with me, Mike? What does that have to do with money? Well, just this, I guess. Um, We have an incredibly generous staff. Like, first of all, to state the obvious, every one of our staff could go work somewhere else and make more money. (laughs) But above and beyond that, every single staff member has joyfully accepted God's invitation to blessing. They give generously. Proportionally speaking, some of the biggest givers at this church work here. Isn't that cool? And I believe that one of the blessings that we get when we accept God's invitation to blessing through generosity is is we get this sense of abiding joy. Okay, so let me read you the last part of that passage out of Isaiah 58 again. Listen to this. You'll be known as those who can fix anything. Restore old ruins. Rebuild, 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 rebuild and renovate. Rebuild and renovate. Rebuild and renovate. Make the community livable again. Man, I love that. I was listening to the radio the other day and this guy said, we got to stop talking about that we're going to go back to normal. We're not going back to normal. Fair enough. A new normal then. It's okay. That's okay. You know why? Because I've accepted, we've accepted God's invitation to blessing. And, and I know that we're going to have a few things. Number one, he's going to give us direction. We're going to know where to go. Even in this new normal, we're going to know where to go. Step by step, moment by moment. And secondly, he's going to give us contentment. Man, when I talk about com- contentment, I'm not talking about complacency. We can still have dreams and we can still have goals, but even in the moment, the sense of deep contentment, not from the outside in, but from the inside out. And finally, this abiding joy. Listen, isn't this amazing? This abiding joy that says, even when the world feels out of control, I put my faith in a God who loves me infinitely, and he's in control. So I'm going to joyfully trust him to do, to control what only he can control. And I'm going to joyfully control what I can control. We're not going to worry about what we can't do. We're just going to get pumped about what we can do. It's rebuilding time. And we get to help. How? With all our heart. That's all. So I want to talk about generosity just for a second and, 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 and the spiritual ramifications of generosity. I want to tell you that Jesus Christ is completely and totally 
generous. He is generosity. And that Jesus gave his life for us. And Jesus rose again for us. And so I'm not sure where you are with him, but I want to tell you, separate from everything else, Jesus loves you. Jesus is for you. And, and, and Jesus wants to answer your deepest questions. He wants to give you a sense of contentment and joy that, 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 that starts from the inside and works out. So I guess my question for you is, Jesus gave, you, gave us this gift of salvation. Have you ever accepted it? Because I would love to give you the opportunity right now to accept it. And the way that you do that is just by prayer. And so I'm going to pray out loud, and I would invite you, if you've never accepted Jesus' free gift of salvation, I want to invite you to do that right now. As I pray out loud, you can pray along with me wherever you are. So dear Jesus, thank you. Thank you for your generosity. Thank you for dying on the cross so that my sins could be forgiven. Thank you for rising again so that I could be free today, tomorrow, forever. I accept it all. I accept your gift, and I thank you. I pray that you would give me the strength to step into everything you have for me today, tomorrow, and forever in your name. Amen. Amen. So if you just prayed that prayer for the first time, I want to invite you, please, to text the keyword LIFE, L-I-F-E, to 604 670 3040. And we don't want to stalk you, but we really would love to support you in this journey. You're going to love it. The best is yet to come. And one more thing. So I talked about it today. It's the covenant of generosity. It's an invitation to blessing, an invitation to direction, to contentment, and to joy. I'm wondering, is today the day that you're going to step out? Man, if you want to do that, we would love to help you. (laughs) So there's a couple ways that I would suggest you do it. The one way that you could do it and to to step out in this generosity journey would be to text the keyword GIVE, G-I-V-E, to 604-670-3040. And if texting isn't really your thing, you can always go onto our website, southsidelife.com. It's rebuilding time. And we get to help with our whole hearts. I love you guys. We'll see you next week. Thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for past episodes. And to stay up to date with all things Southside, follow at Southside underscore church on Instagram. We love you guys. The best is yet to come.